0: All right guys, hey, we're live here at SVG. Anthony DiMedico, I'm here with Steve Patrick. Is everybody on? We got our technology working, guys? Booyah, baby. We got the IT guys on board here making sure everything works seamlessly. Dude, we got a whole room full of people behind us. <laughs> you wouldn't realize how long, it, how, how much work it takes to go on two live pages and shoot a podcast. I know. So guys, we got Steve Pat- Patrick here, author of Level the Field. A lot of guys know him. Uh, he spoke at our conference a couple years in a row, Wind the Storm. Um, Steve, why don't you, for some of the guys that don't know you, why don't you tell a little bit of how you got, I mean, you used to be an adjuster.
1: Yeah, 15, 20 years ago I was a, started out as a contractor, just like you guys, and um, did that for a number of years, really enjoyed it, um, things really got slow in Dallas-Fort Worth, we didn't have any work at all, I mean, we were sucking wind, and three hurricanes hit Florida in the same year, one, two, three. Charlie Francis-Gene? Uh-huh, yeah, well Ike, known. Ike. Oh, Ike, okay. Oh, no, Ivan, Ivan. Ivan. Because Ivan is the one, when Ivan hit, that's when I went. What, so year, I, what year was that? I don't know, it was 15 years ago. Oh, shit. So I worked Charlie, Francis, Gene and Wilma. Yeah, yeah. Was, that, that was forward. the following year. That the was, following, was the following okay, year. Gotcha. And um, so, what happened was I had my adjuster's license, not because I wanted to be an adjuster, because I didn't, I had my adjuster's license so when I meet adjusters out on a roof, I could pull it out and say, hey, look, I'm an adjuster too. And many times that would get the borderline roofs bought back then. I don't know if it works nowadays, but it worked back then. So I had my adjuster's license for that reason. And we were dead in the water, didn't have any work and the hurricanes hit and we said, Heck, let's go down and do some adjusting down in Florida. So you
0: actually worked for the carriers? Yeah. yeah, Oh, absolutely. On, on commercial large loss? Yeah. I started
1: with America. Hurricane Ivan and then worked Wilma, then worked Katrina, I think Katrina was before Wilma, and worked every major hurricane through Hurricane Sandy. That was the last one I ever worked. Now, how
0: the heck, so how did you end up back on the right side of the railroad track, <laughs> which on the contracting side? Yeah. Well. In Hurricane Katrina, I was doing field, uh, field training, and I was training adjusters, and I
1: realized how abysmally trained they were at uh, scoping property losses. And I saw an opportunity. I said, well, I'm going to start my own school. I've been training field training guys anyway. So I started my own claim adjuster licensing and training school, and I was training claims adjusters. you adjusters on the carrier side. That's right. Okay. Absolutely. And I was training them how to scope property losses correctly, what indemnification was, all these things. How to read a policy. How to pay rent and profit. How to, how, to indemn- <laughs> how to indemnify their insurance. And um, so I did that for a bunch of years and then this company called Veil Training Solutions called me. They're the oldest and most prestigious claim adjuster training school in America. And they asked me to come on board and become one of their trainers. And so I did that for a little while. And then I read a book by Jay Feynman. Jay Fineman is a... Um,
0: He's a professor. Well, the one that uh, put Allstate under the uh, gun, under the microscope.
1: Yeah. Right? He's a, um, a professor of insurance law at Rutgers and he wrote a book called Delay, Deny, Defend. And I read that book and I come to the realization that the insurance companies don't want them to be thorough in scoping property well, essentially,
0: there's a fun There was a fundamental change because like he, he investigated Allstate. In that That's report. right. Allstate was a big. Uh, the McKinsey. But Allstate in 98, 99, and 2000 when I was when I first started yeah. knocking doors was yeah. a different Allstate than Allstate in 2002. 2000. That's right. So something happened in like 2002, 2002. The McKinsey report. They instituted. Well these consultants came in and literally taught these insurance executives how to underpay, deny, defer, diffuse claims. Yeah. And, but that was a fundamental change because in 98, 99, the buy ratio. The ability 76. to get your price approved was, was a little higher yep. than it is today. So it's like
1: I went into the insurance industry to be a change agent. I wanted to make it so that the insurance adjusters actually mm-hmm. were doing thorough scoping so, th- so that all the damage is accounted for and so that legitimate and reasonable methods of repair are included in their estimates. And when I come to the realization that the insurance industry no longer wanted that, they wanted the adjusters to do what they're told. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference. And I, I realized I couldn't be a change agent. So at that point, I, I said, fine. I'm going to go back to my roots. I'm going to go back and I'm going to teach contractors and public adjusters. I've never been a public adjuster. But I'm going to teach contractors and public adjusters how to deal with these unreasonable
0: claims departments and even the unscrupulous ones. Not wrote oh, Love of the Plains, what you wrote about three four years ago. Correct? That's right. And well, um, We met four years ago. And we came across, you were you were, you were living in Dallas then. We yeah, came yeah, still We on Facebook. Still you know, do. the SPG page launched. And you're like, hey, I got this book out. I'm about to launch it. I'm like, well, why don't you launch it at Wind Storm. So you were yeah. at one of the first Wind of Storms, I think back in Vegas. That's where ago. I did launch it. Did launch the book there at Wind the Storm. Yep. And now you've been with us three years as a speaker. By the way, Steve's Correct. coming back again by popular demand. So we listen to your guys' feedback. There's a couple speakers we we bring back every year because we get a lot of positive feedback. Thanks. You're one of them. <laughs> so we're, we're we're getting you back for a Thanks break guys for breakout a session feedback. and a uh, well, guys, they like to hear you know how to some of the tools and, and stuff they need in their kitty. Yeah, 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 To challenge on the street every day, all these different situations going on from all the different carriers. So can I
1: get my book away for free? So at the end
0: of this thing, we'll tell you how to get it. So you, if you don't have one, you can get a free copy. Download it for free. I can download mine too. Yeah, absolutely. So, guys, well, a couple things for you guys. we got questions. Anybody watching us? We are giving away some tickets to Win a Storm. Steve will be speaking again this year. You also have a breakout session. I think you got a vendor booth. Yep, yep. Um, so the best question in the comments on either Level the field page. Are we live on Level the field? And we're live on uh, Storm Ventures Group? All right. Technology's working. So, guys, the best question from each page, because we like your involvement, gets a free ticket to Win the Storm. Uh, that's what we're doing now. We're going back to... Uh, we're going back to the South Point because we had such such yeah, yeah, great yeah. feedback. Oh, it was awesome. That Vegas and the South Point just worked last year compared to Miami. Miami was tough the year before. Yeah, yeah, we had to yeah, change yeah. venues at the last minute. Boy, that was tough on me. I don't, it was like rebuilding a hotel. This is my fourth <laughs> year. Because we did Miami, I mean, Vegas, Miami, Vegas, yeah, Vegas, Miami, Vegas. Yeah, first so one this was actually in Scottsdale. Yeah, yeah I didn't have do that. I one. didn't do that one. I mean, we had like a hundred people yeah, I didn't in Scottsdale do that one, and then uh, the next one I did. The first Vegas was about seven fifty. Yeah, that's the one I did. Mine is about twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred. Now last year was close to two thousand. Yeah, yeah, So then yeah. we're hoping this year. Right now we're about sixty percent sold out, so we're hoping for twenty five hundred. That's really good. Yeah, well, we a lot of vendors reblocked. A, book. a lot of companies reblocked these as their company annual trip mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, we're excited about that. February 21, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three. Back in Vegas. Um, we'll probably switch it up in 2000, uh, 2020. We'll probably do something like San Diego on the ocean. We're going to switch it up next year. But we'll be there in go. Vegas when there we're better. So, guys, today's podcast we're going to start doing a weekly podcast at SVG. Next week, we got a public adjusting, kind of local public adjuster coming in. We like to do different themes. This week, one of the three things that uh, Steve and I are going to talk about is winning adjustments. Winning appraisals, a lot of guys don't understand how to win the appraisal process. I know you got a ton of experience. I got a little experience back in the day with appraisals and all that works. And then how to get, you know, supplements, uh, what, what are some things we can do to get our supplements approved and um, become better, stronger, faster out there in the game. So that's what we're covering today. We want you guys to ask as many questions as possible, you know, in the comments. We'll try to answer those in a few minutes. But Steve, now that's now that uh, most of these guys know who you are, let's let's just check, Let's chat about adjustments before we get into appraisals. I'll tell you what I notice out there, because I work with a lot of these guys in the field, I know you get out in the field. A lot of guys are sending their, you know, they get busy after these storms, they buy a bunch of leads, we're, we're hiring and training a bunch of sales guys, and what I see happening out there is sometimes they're sending these green beans out to these 40, 50, $100,000 adjustments Guys show up late, they don't have their ladder up, not all of them, I'm just saying some of them, the green mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. And they're literally losing the deal because the adjuster, the field adjuster doesn't have respect for the guy. He looks like he was delivering Domino's pizza last week, shirt's untucked, he's showing up. and just doesn't have the right language at the adjustment. A lot of it's professionalism. You know, He's got a little tool belt when he shows up with chalk, is he, has he got a clipboard, has he got some supporting docs to show up to the adjustment. A lot of it's just showing up prepared looking professional. I think half of winning the adjustment in the field with that initial field adjuster is basic psychology. Well, say you. Absolutely. I mean, having been a claims adjuster, you can very
1: quickly size up who you're dealing with working with the contractor. If the guy's experienced, if he knows what he's talking about. One of the ways is the questions that you ask. If you ask intelligent questions, then they realize that you're an intelligent person and that you really know your, your stuff. And if you ask stupid questions, so think about your questions before you ask them. I mean, it's the old thing, put them, put your hand over your mouth and, and think before you speak, you know? And um, there are such a thing as a stupid question, and uh, and you don't want to be asking those of adjusters. And um, be prepared. Lots of people aren't prepared. Show up early. Be prepared. Have all your documentation. I was... Um, my neighbor's son, who was 16 at the time, he's 18 now, I was, I was training him how to document the damage. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to annoy the adjuster. Look, when he's there to do his inspection, it's his rodeo, mm-hmm. right? So the insurance company mm-hmm. hired him to go out and do, do an inspection. You don't want to be annoying the guy. Did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see that? So what I taught this young man that lives next door to me to do when he was 16 is take some of that painter's blue tape, and if you have a dent on the gutter, Put the blue tape next to the dent on the gutter or if you have some damage where um, it damaged the stain on the fence put it next to the to the hell hit on that or whatever the case may be the dent on the uh, soft metal on the roof on the chimney cap whatever the uh, garage door dents whatever the case may be that way when they see the blue tape their eyes are automatically drawn to that they see the damage and if they don't see the damage they would say what's this and then you have an opportunity to explain what it is mm-hmm. as opposed to annoying him by saying, Did you see this dent? Did you see well, that? A lot of times
0: you take pictures unless you circle it with something. Well, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. See it even take your chalk and. Right. Absolutely. Now, some guys out there are like, Hey, don't chalk the rust before the adjuster. I hear some guys say that. I used to chalk the hell out of everything. <laughs> you know what I used to do? <laughs> chalk, chalk, as chalk, I would underline. Or, the draw, or put a little dot on underline it. Underline
1: it or put a dot. And it draws their right eye to it. And if they agree, they can circle it. If they disagree, they just leave it there. So yeah. that way it doesn't obstruct their, you know, their documentation with the circle because you're not circling. So that's what I would suggest.
0: Now you got markets like Florida, some of these other states where you got a lot of statutes. You got like, I brought some of them here, you know, talking about Florida, because I just experienced my own tile roof adjustment a couple of months ago on Verma, we got get 205,000. So that will work properly? Not just the roof, it was a huge yeah, tile yeah. roof, uh, massive inside water damage, uh, hardwood floors, all kinds of stuff. But you know, I met an adjuster out there And uh, he's from California, independent. But he said, man, you know, they're really tough on buying these tile roofs, Anthony. uh, I need some supporting docs to, you know. So when you show up, you want your discontinued tile letter. You know, in Florida, they got, you know, the old 25% repair rule Uh about some of that stuff here. You got Florida Matching Law. And some of these adjusters that show up don't, they're not, they're from a different state. They might not know ice and water shield code. They don't know Florida Matching Law. They don't know the 25% repair rule. So I was basically educating him Piece by piece, as we're you know, as we're moving through the roof and moving through the house, in providing him with stuff like, you know, the Florida wind lift test. You know, when you when you can when you can uh, lift the nose into that yeah. tile more than two inches in several places, that would fill, fill the wind lift stuff The twenty five percent repair rule, uh, the discontinued tile letter. So during this three, it was a four hour adjustment. I not only educated him, but I gave him the pieces of information he needed to bring back to his supervisor to justify pain close to $200,000 out on a claim. You know what, a lot and, of people... And, and he went from, hey, I don't know if I can even send this in for full replacement to yeah, yeah. being fully educated and actually having the documentation to turn to his supervisor, and again, you know, three weeks later, it was approved. See, that's the key. If you can make it easy for the adjuster to say yes, our, our goal isn't to frustrate
1: the adjuster. Our goal is to make it easy for him to say yes. And so if you can load his gun up with bullets to be able to justify the inclusion of these line items, then it's easy for him to get the his his uh, file examiner to agree. So what you don't realize is that every claims adjuster has a file examiner that looks over their estimates. And they're the get- gatekeeper. And they have to be able to provide documentation, facts and evidence, hopefully credible objective third party source material mm-hmm. to justify the inclusion of all these line items. Right. And if they have the facts and evidence that support that line its inclusion, the chances of them being able to get it bought is far greater. So if you'll do the adjuster's job for him, yes, for him, by providing all the facts and documentation that he needs to be able to, to get it through the file examiner, then you get the thing bought. So why not, instead of frustrating them, why not let's do our, their job for them, provide them with all the documentation right. they need, and you're greasing the skids,
0: and it goes, whoosh, it goes right through. Which is why you know a lot of these a lot of these guys are scrambling at the last minute. They're like, man, do I have the discontinued tile letter, the shingle letter? Do I have the statute that references the 25% repair rule? I mean, each state has their own kind of stuff. You bet. That you know, Minnesota. State has, Minnesota state. has different matching law than Florida has different matching law from Ohio. Some don't have it, some do. Yep. So what you what you need to do? And I used to do this in my own company, but now we do it in the file vault inside SVGU. Is we literally started loading all these documents up by state. And so you're able to access them 24/7, and you almost got to train your sales guys to show up with this material because you're going to get you're going to get treated differently by that adjuster when you show up with stuff or say, "Hey, man, this stuff needs to be this whole thing needs to be replaced." And you know, you show up late, you don't have any supporting documentation. It's a total different you're adjustment process. When you show up early, you have some stuff in your clipboard. And I didn't throw all this stuff in this guy's face at the adjustment. I fed it to him over that two-hour period. Like, well, yeah, yeah. here's this. This how I made you an extra copy. Here's this. This is how this statue works. Here's that. And by the time we were done, he's like, he went from he wasn't a naysayer, but he was gonna he was pushing a repair in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To understand it's gonna be a full replacement. And it was you know it was a three-hour process, but it was a huge it was a huge claim, huge residential claim. So um, being prepared is huge, and the better you can arm your sales associates, because I see a lot of people scrambling out there. Hey, man, there's an adjustment at three o'clock. Young kid showing up, looking like he was delivering Domino's pizza last week, shirt's untucked. <laughs> Doesn't have a ladder. Juster's already on a roof. Game over, man. I mean, you know, he didn't show up prepared, he didn't show up early. He didn't show up educated on how to even position, pitch, or talk Mentally about prepared. the supporting documentation. Um, the other thing I see out there, some guys saying, hey, and I know you're one of them, say, don't bring a line item estimate to the adjustment. Um, and there, there's two... Wa- I bring think a there's... Scope report with no pricing scope
1: report. on Because you're not there to discuss price. You're there to scope... To come to an agreed scope of damages and method of repair. You're not there to discuss price. No so, way. why would you bring something about price
0: if you're not there to discuss price? Or you, or you could write it too high and, and, it, and it scares people away. You know, you, you stack with overhead and profit, all the same, the guy comes on and Oh my God. he's off down he on, on a rabbit trail talking yeah. about OMP.
1: You're not there to talk about OMP. You're there to talk about damages and method of repair, the scope. Right.
0: And so, um, yeah. No, I have I, been in situations on like some smaller commercial jobs where I went. Who Who's showing up to that adjustment is also part of that equation. And how you present your estimate. But I when I went out on some uh, where I where I was you know, these are post hurricane Charlie uh, Wilma, where it was obvious damn it was getting bought. Yeah, yeah In yeah. those cases I showed up with an estimate because I but it was me. And I had the sporting documentation, it was a done, it wasn't it wasn't a marginal situation. It was sure, sure. Hey, bring your estimate the adjustment, will make this thing go a lot quicker. So in some situations where it's total devastation the better prepared you are with your, not only your estimate, and this gets into overhead and profit, but you're supporting pre-sub-bids. That's right. So a lot of guys don't understand, you know, you show up with pre-sub-bids, you know, you got the copper gutters, you got the uh, the awning that's that's broke, you got the broken window from hail or whatnot, If you, and you can't do this on every claim because you don't have time, and you can't get those sub-bids. But the bigger ones. But on the bigger ones, and you show up to that first adjustment, with the pre-sub bid for the asbestos removal, with the mm-hmm. pre-sub bid for the window replacement, you're already acting in capacity as a GC or prime contractor before you even started. You've already gathered data as a as a general contractor. So that also leads you in a different conversation, going, Hey man, there's five trades on this job. I went over and profit. Well, everybody says that. Hey, there's five trades on this job. Here's the three top subbids of work that we need to start immediately. There's a price it form, here's my prime estimate yep. as a prime contractor. That's a different conversation. When you walk into that adjustment of that because you're already acting capacity as a GC. you got to realize the difference between a bid and an estimate. An estimate is a guesstimate. That's what
1: an estimate is. Your neighbor can put together an estimate. It's not worth the paper it's written on, but they can do that. But they can't put together a bid. Only a qualified subcontractor can put together a bid. And they're saying, we're prepared to do this work for this price. For this GC or this prime contractor. That's right. You know for this bid is good for four weeks six weeks right. whatever the case may be a bid is something that's solid an estimate is not and since the insurance company is not doing the work all they put together is a guesstimate that is what an estimate is as contractors you're not putting together an estimate because you're not estimating what it costs you know what it costs you're the expert in construction the insurance companies are putting together estimates you are not you're putting together solid
0: numbers based on your experience as an expert in construction. So if you show, so guys, if you, and this is my experience, I can't say it for everybody, it doesn't work all the time. But the chances of getting 10 and 10 OMP are greatly improved. So one guy shows up with no estimate, which he's kind of trying to figure out what the scope is. I'm talking about mm-hmm. total devastation, where you know there's you know, those five trays, broken windows, all that. Another guy shows up with a full blown Xactimate he spent all night, right, this beautiful Xactimate. Mm-hmm. The other guy shows up with maybe an Xactimate as well, Maybe it's not all detailed out, but he's got, he's got three pre-subbeds supporting yeah. the exact amount, Hey, the AC, need, and maybe it says the AC unit needs to be replaced. And here's why. We can't recomb it, and here's my $6,000 pre-subbed. And it's from the AC with the AC's uh, letterhead on it. That was Arizona here when we opened up in 2010. AC's got replaced on, on 80% of the roof solder because they're just blasted. But they wouldn't come out and buy them right away. they say, well, you need to get the you need to get a pre-sub bid and you need an opinion letter from the, so we just started calling the AC guys and getting us ahead of time. So when we showed up to that adjustment, we had the AC bid, we had the window companies uh, bid for window replacement for the two windows. We had the roof, obviously that was in the Xactimate. Sure. But now I noticed that overhead and profit was getting approved much at much greater uh, capacity because we were already acting in capacity as a GC before we even started to work. And that's totally different than just writing an Xactimate saying I want overhead and profit. I've already gotten pre-sub-beds, this work needs to be done, I've already brought the sub out here in in some cases, I'm already acting as a general contractor, you know what I mean? What you don't realize is that if the adjuster is an independent adjuster, the higher
1: the estimate, the more money he makes. He works on a sliding scale. He would love for it to be higher, but he just doesn't want to get yelled at by his supervisor or the file examiner by putting things in there that he can't justify. As being legitimate and reasonable. That's the reason why I hit so hard on legitimate and reasonable because I'm because I know how adjusters think and what they have to do to get their files approved through their file examiner. And if you've do- fully documented it for him and given him all the documentation he needs to be able to get it approved, you've done his job for him. He loves you because he makes more money. He knows he's going to be able to get it
0: approved because. Well, now that's because that's, you have a dozen the adjusters, Steve. No matter what you do, there's still that other half. well. Of course. That, well no matter what you do, they're going to give you the. 3Ds. And the staff adjusters, they they don't make another extra penny. But you, so, but you can improve your buy ratio, guys. Look, you're never going to have a hundred percent buy ratio, even after well, maybe after a huge storm, the first ninety days. But you know, you can go from I see some companies out. They have a man six. I'm only getting a, my buy ratio is about sixty seventy percent on signed deals. I'm like. Somebody, a lot of that has to do with sales training, guys showing up on time, guys showing up prepared, and they can improve that buyer ratio just to 80 90%, 10 points, 20 points, which it could be a million or two, it could be $2, 3000000 million dollars a year. It's huge. If they just arm their guys with the right data, give them the documents they need, and train to show up to be professional. So, guys, before we, that's a lot of discussion right there. Before we go on to appraisals, which a lot of guys got a lot of questions on the appraisal process, we got any questions on adjustments, folks? Just the basic adjustments before we go to appraisals.
2: So we have a question from
0: Edward over here. Edward Falk, Encyclopedia Ed. Ed yes. Fanko? We, yes, we so, call him, so... No, we call Ed Encyclopedia Ed. I know, I know. Because he does, he comes up with... the ed,
1: professor. You yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. ask a question on a Facebook page, he'll come up with, like, statutes oh, and oh, all those That's why we call him the professor.
3: <laughs> so his question is, what can contractors and public adjusters and appraisers do to improve their knowledge and yet still say, stay in their legal lanes to avoid... UPPA, oh U-P-P-A. For contractors. You Besides gotta... reading the book "Level the Playing Field," what other educational resources are best available?
0: Well, I think obviously, mean, I think we, we really hit our hard. U- our, well, our, our Facebook, Facebook pages, pages are a really good. Uh, look, you can put a post or comment up on "Level the Playing Field" or SVG. Or read other you, people's
1: and, posts in the past. And, you're going to get and a lot. Of, you're going
0: to get a lot of answers. Of course, it's all on our side of the industry. Um, what we tried to do at of Storm last year, guys, is bring like Steve Badger and you know, different people on a carrier side. We got some surprises to announce, I'm not gonna announce them yet, about some other folks we're bringing in from the carrier side this year to do some debates and some breakout sessions. Steve Badger's coming back again because we want the contractors, the PAs, the appraisers to hear from the carrier side. Absolutely. Which can be a little different than what we all, we all kind of buy into our own stuff all the time on the pages. Now we heard last year from Steve Badger for the first time, congrats on him for coming. He's probably gonna watch us at some point. Well, i sure probably <laughs> but, is. But you know, starting to hear, well what is their perspective and you got to really blend the two together Absolutely. to get the best education because we're you know at the end of the day the carrier's cutting the checks you know what i mean homeowners are paying the premiums carriers cutting the checks and we're all doing the work helping mrs smith in some capacity to help us get this whole process moving forward so it's i think it's a combination of everything i think the conference is a great place i think uh read those former the, the
1: past facebook posts because we have guys that post phenomenal questions and not only do tony and i on our site and Anthony on his site answer the questions, but a whole bunch of the contractors and PAs, they chime in, and they help with the answers also. And then there's just a whole slew of, of well-rounded, good answers, uh, to. and you could go back years and read posts, uh, and uh, that's a very valuable resource is, is our two Facebook forums. Thanks, Thanks Encyclopedia,
0: <laughs> Who's the next
2: one? All right, guys. David Summerlee with FCR Home Improvement has a question. He asks, what's the fastest- What's up, David? Hi, David. Okay, so David would like to know what is the fastest, simplest way to give customers estimates when they are demanding estimates before they'll talk to us?
0: Oh, before they talk to the contractor? Absolutely. Well, that's in your hyper-competitive markets where you're, you know, people are filing claims and agents are telling the property owners, they're trying to slow the claim process down. They're telling, the agent's even telling the property, hey, get three estimates, get three estimates, get three, even the, the adjusting company because they want to slow it down and they know if Mrs. Smith is out there getting three estimates, she's blaming the contractors instead of the carrier for the slowdown. But I think, I think you get around at me, what I used to do personally as a contractor. You know, there's so many ways you can come back to that. like you know why? Well, why are you getting three estimates to begin with? You know, and then you got to educate the property owner on the only thing you're doing by you know we're doing work for Xactimate, You know, your 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 cost is going to be your deductible. The only thing you can do by getting three estimates is either ed- educate your your insurance carrier if you send those in, possibly if you choose the lowest one, save your insurance company money because they're gonna they're gonna decrease what they're willing to pay in Xactimate. So that's a tough deal because there means there's so much education by the carriers and different people to get you know to push to get those three estimates. And some people are just old school. They want three estimates. Sometimes you have to write an estimate to get the business. You know, it's not always the old contingency sale like you want. You know, I realize this is an issue, so I wrote an entire chapter about this in my book,
1: Level the Playing Field. And so what I suggest that you do, it takes about three minutes to read. And the title of the chapter is Why You're Crazy to Put Your Insurance Claim Out to Bid. And so what you do is you ask... The, the customer do you have three minutes? I want you to read something written by an insurance claims expert I'm not calling myself that but you can call me that right And you have them read the chapter and they take three minutes. They read the chapter and they go Oh, I didn't realize that never mind. I don't want you to give me a bit So you don't have to be the one to tell them that they're crazy to do that Let me tell them that they're crazy. You to them I by t-
0: them reading my chapter I would here's what I would tell that customer it was a one-on-one thing if you're getting heart surgery next month Heart surgery. You get the lowest bid. And you know your insurance company is going to pay for that heart surgery. Would you go get three estimates or three bids from three heart surgeons in town or would you find the best heart surgeon in town who's willing to work with your carrier and get the best heart surgery operation for your heart surgery? You wouldn't go get three bids. What a great analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's nuts. I mean, you could go on and on with that with all the different analogies and stuff like that. But sometimes, old school, sometimes people just want estimates and, you get, and sometimes you got to give an estimate to get the deal and, and sometimes you're going to lose it, you know.
2: All right guys, we're just getting this party started. We've got Brandon Sunday Monday from from Storm Operations of America. He asked how he said he had a job go on with five different types of roofs, shingle, flat, shake, etc. After the supplements were all approved, the insurance company took the difference out of the O&P. What would be the best course of action to get that O&P? He says, seems pretty illegal what the carrier is doing.
1: So he took the roof, he included O&P on everything but the roof? Is that what he's saying? Yes. I think that's what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. So what you do is you provide documentation showing that what they're doing is, so if they've included O&P on everything but the roof, then you're no longer arguing whether or not O&P should be included. It's been included. The question is, the correct calculation of OMP. They so incorrectly they, they agreed to pay it? the o
0: and then they took it back except, away? Except on the roof.
1: Except Everything but the roof. So they're incorrectly calculating the O&P. So don't be arguing that they ought to include OMP if they've already included it. They're just calculating it wrong. And then what you do is you provide some documentation, <clears throat> and I can provide the documentation later on uh, tomorrow on my Facebook forum um, from the Adjuster's Bible that shows exactly the correct way to calculate general contractor's overhead and profit. And <clears throat> property and loss adjusting book put out by the CP, the AICPCU says that the correct way to calculate it is you take the in, the loss in its entirety and then you add your, your overhead and profit and not select parts and
0: pick and choose which You're trades. At the, the top. There's probably yeah, yeah. 10 or 12 of them right now that no matter what these guys do <clears throat> are not honoring it on the roof. And around in other trades, which is complete garbage. Sure, a lot of these guys just got to draw a line in it. Got to draw a line in the sand. We're, you know, we're getting past uh, adjustments into supplements. If you really want to get your supplement approved, you got to be willing to stop the job. That's what we used to do when we we're serious about it. Collect the down payment, consummate your build contract because now they can't go back, back door you with another contract. You've collected the yep. down payment. Literally order materials for that project and then send your supplement in, but before you tear off the roof or before you start what I call first major trades. So go ahead and tarp the roof up, if there's emergency repair, yeah. maybe start the emergency gutter, whatever. So you consummate the build contract, because now you can't be backdoored legally. It's very tough to backdoor someone once they collect the down payment, That's right. and they start some kind of work, but not major trades. And then draw, and you gotta get the property owner behind you, then, then, then send in your supplement request, and literally tell that desk adjuster, look, we're drawing a line of sand, we're contracted being repairs. we're already ordering materials for this project. Heck, we might even have materials in the driveway. We're not tearing off that roof until we get these things approved and that includes overhead and profit on my roof. Now that takes balls. I've did it a few times. And the only way it works is if you get that property owner behind you, That's right. if the they property be behind, behind you. you, you might end up picking the materials up and then you got a legal battle with the, with the customer. So you gotta educate the property in that situation. It did work for us many times, but it only worked when we had the property behind us and we were literally to literally willing to hold the job until we got our legitimate price approved, not some BS price, but a legitimate price stuff out of Xactimate that should have been paid right the first time.
1: Realize in most states that once you drop materials off on someone's property, it becomes the property of the homeowner. Yeah, so, no so maybe you should be aware of, of that.
0: Order them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Make sure they order them, but don't be... drop them. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: yeah. Otherwise, another roofer might show up and do you it. You know it. what? Here's a question mm. that I've never posed to, to any of you guys before. And here's a question you can ask. So ask the adjuster in what industry da- is the company's overhead not passed on to the consumer besides contracting. What industry? You know what industry there is that is not passed on? There isn't one. Every single industry exists in America. The company's overhead is passed on to the consumer. Of course it is. You have to cover your overhead costs and have a profit
0: to to stay in business. A lot of these guys, the are, insurance su- industry. A lot of guys are supplementing the back end. The insurance
1: in a- industry passes on their overhead in the form of insurance premiums. Well, they probably got six thousand percent markup. And so, <laughs> yeah, well, and love. so, so how is it that the contracting industry is singled out as the only industry in America where we're not allowed to pass on our overhead? What? That's insane.
0: Well, because a lot of guys are being dictated to and allowing that process to happen. And the only way it's going to change, guys, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds uh, a little ball-y and gamey. But if you're willing to draw that line in the sand and hold the job until you get your price approved, that, that's that's one method that works when the property is behind you. When you're supplementing the back end and trying to pick up scraps, you lose all your negotiating power. And a lot of guys do it in the back end, it, it works. It doesn't work as effective as it does in the front end. And it doesn't work as effective as after you've collected that first check and actually consummate the build contract. That's when you have more power as a contractor to get supplements approved. A lot of guys need to just, they need to stand their ground in that one spot. Your secret weapon is the consumer. If you can get the
1: consumer not on your side, if you can get them on their side, so that they're taken up for themselves, and they say, "No, I'm not going to allow you to piecemeal my roof. No, I'm not going to allow you to fail to indemnify me by refusing to pay general contractors overhead and profit. No," and they they draw the line of the sand, and they say, "No, I'm not going to accept this. If you can get the consumer on their own side, is huge. That is your secret weapon, guys."
0: Let's, uh, guys, let's move on to appraisals because appraisals is a very complicated process, but it's also a solution to a lot of these problems these guys are facing, not only on full denials, but on things like, hey, I didn't get my own rent profit approved. Hey, they're not paying starter ridge waste that I want or should have got. And you got a price discrepancy, maybe not a scope discrepancy. Um, I've done appraisals in the past. In the past, I've also served as an appraiser. Mm-hmm. I was even an umpire once, selected mm-hmm. off an umpire list. Yep. I created my own umpire list. I'll tell you real quick, uh, especially in Chicago, we did a lot of cedar shake roofs, not only as a salesperson, but as an owner. And uh, we, uh, on, on a, uh, there's a couple insurance companies, I won't name them on here in case this goes live. <laughs> I probably should. It is live. They would No, I'm saying <laughs> live out in the next podcast yeah. where the carriers can, can hear it. But there's a couple carriers that would come out on first adjustment um, uh, with an engineer, an engineering company. The first adjuster was the engineer. And he was coming out to do a full denial. And that same engineer was also the appraiser, which is a conflict of interest, of obviously. And he systematically would deny a lot of cedar shake roofs. This is in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, so we started fighting them on the appraisal process. And after you pick off their umpire list a few times, you learn you learn real quick that one of the one of the methods to win an appraisal is not to pick off the insurance carrier's list because. 80% of the time they're going to be stacked with their cronies or somebody that Bias. gets repeat umpire work for the uh, yep. and you know with a you know with, with a pra- when the legal process whatever appraisal and uh, the appraiser and the, the appraiser and the uh, umpire whatever award they sign becomes the winning yep. winning dollar amount yep so we started creating our umpire list a lot of guys don't do this an umpire list in your local area could consist of uh, basically anybody that's, uh, a citizen speaks english and competent. It could be a supplier manager, maybe that has an understanding. We had a a local cedar supply manager on there that had an understanding of cedar materials. We had owners of other companies that were familiar with Cedar Shake Roast. We had just anybody that wasn't in our company that didn't have a direct fiduciary uh, or financial stake in that job or that customer. And a lot of times, you know, you have that game where you have 15 days to choose the umpire after you select your appraiser. They wouldn't select off our list, we wouldn't select off their list. So it went to a judge in a state of record. And I don't know if it was just Illinois, but every time I we went to the judge on the state record, and it didn't cost that much to present this to a judge, it was a couple hundred bucks for the homeowner to file a yep. motion, Yep, yep. but they took the offense instead of the carrier, because usually the carriers are sitting back, waiting to process, thinking people mm-hmm. are gonna disappear. Homeowner takes the offense. Judge, uh, in every case that we ever did, the judge approved off the umpire list created by the homeowner. Right? It's a 50-50 shot or so I thought, I think some of those judges understand the process that that umpire list is stacked on the carrier side, yep. and maybe they want to give Mrs. Smith a, a benefit of the doubt. So, in my situation, our umpires off our list oftentimes got selected or the ones that we submitted by the judge, and of course, the homeowner got a fair shake in most of those situations. So, for me, that process worked out well, but it only worked out well when we submitted our own umpire list. And sometimes the carrier's appraiser would some take off our list because they're not really making any more money sure. by letting this thing sit. So, sometimes the carrier's appraiser is like, Fine, let's pick an umpire, somebody that if, if they might do some interviews and call them. And that worked out too. Sometimes we hit a, a standstill and I had to go to the judge state record. But for me personally, we won about 95% of our appraisals uh, by following the process. So it worked. Now, I know in different parts of the country, you have different ma- methods of appraisal. I know you've done a lot more than me. You've probably done like 1,500, 2,000 of them. What say you? Man, it's the, the most important thing is when you refer your
1: client to an appraiser, that appraiser is competent. Because the consumer is going to be stuck with the outcome. The wording in the the appraisal clause in your insurance policy says that it's binding on both parties. That means picture a guy who's bound to a chair and he can't get out. You can't get out of the award. That's what you're going to get. And so, if you don't pick someone who's competent that really knows what they're doing, you don't want to pick your buddy. I'll do yours if you do mine. And you get out there, and you don't know what you're doing. And these professional appraisers just eat your
0: lunch. You're Technically, they have to, have to know be someone outside your company because you can't have a direct competent and independent. independent. You, can't have, you can't be like another sales guy in your company. No, 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 Because no, 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 we tried that once. of interest. And it, it didn't work. Yeah, conflict. <laughs> Got to be someone outside your company, but it can be someone. From another company yep. down the street, maybe a competitor. Competent and independent. It could be a, uh, a local supply house manager. I mean, it could be somebody that has, obviously you want somebody that's competent to, yeah. as far as the roughing materials or the, or the building materials that are affected by the storm, but um, an appraiser could be anybody. Sure. And so could the folks on your umpire list. Could be. The second That's the second most important thing, is once the two
1: appraisers have been named, the second most important thing is that an unbiased umpire, is selected. In fact, I would go so far as to say that it's more important that they be unbiased than they be competent.
0: You could have a guy who's competent and he's biased and what good is that? We see a lot of retired judges on these umpire lists. Now they're unbiased, hopefully, if they're right. Maybe if they're on the carrier side, they're not, but they're typically unbiased, but they're not, very Typical. com- they're not very competent in roofing. Yeah, they don't know. You know, a retired judge is going to be competent in roofing, but he's going to be unbiased. Yeah, so that's, that's a yeah. good example. Bias is the most important thing, is that the umpire be unbiased. Now, an engineer on the insurance company's umpire list is probably not unbiased. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> right? Because of a relationship. Don't pick those engineers. Well, bro. it's because
1: of relationships. They do so much work for them that there's a conflict of interest because any normal person realizes that if you do a lot of work for somebody that is going to skew your, um, you know, the way you view. It's the same thing with appraisers. If you have appraisers who do a lot of appraisals for the same insurance company over and over again, are they really going to be independent? They're going to lose future work with yeah, this, this
0: particular so, engineering company back um, on these cedar shakes was the same carrier was the same engineer, the same guy, over and over again, on every first adjustment. Yeah. So that that there was a there was a clear case there, uh, a setup of denials moving right into and bias of having this you know supposed third party engineer reports. I mean that's yeah. that's something that could be brought up uh, maybe on a larger case for the the APA group to take a look at. I should probably send that their way there because they're still doing it today. I talked to you guys on North there you Suburbs. Go. So
1: looking appraisal guys, the thing is this: is you do your best to try to get. So you get with the field adjuster, if he doesn't have the authority to say yes, or he just says talk to the hand, then you move up the ladder in authority to the desk adjuster. And if you can't get anyone who can be reasoned with there, then you move to the claims manager, the claims supervisor, you move your way up the ladder of authority. If no one at the claims department can be reasoned with, they just refuse to be reasonable, that's a good time Really, you have four options available to you. Take it on the chin, which is about what 90% of consumers do. They take it on the chin, not because they want to, because they don't know whether there have any other options. Number two, you can litigate. Most consumers are afraid to sue their insurance company. It is expensive and time-consuming. Number three, you can hire a PA. The downside to the PA, to be perfectly candid with you, is they're dealing with the same brick wall that you are. The same claims department you've been dealing with is the same claims department they're going to be dealing with. Now, they have more leverage than, than the consumer does, but but that is a fact. And number four, you have appraisal. Appraisal is just alternative dispute resolution. It's a couple guys sitting down at Starbucks over a cup of coffee, and you go out and do a site visit, and you discuss the damage, and and you're independent. The the deal is that you're supposed to be independent. You're not. You don't. You're not here trying to,
0: to get something for your client. You're supposed to be independent. Not guys to invoke because I hear a lot of guys on the page like hey, I'm taking it to appraisal, I'm taking appraisal. The other thing you got to remember is your property owner is the one that initiates appraisal. That's right. A contractor technically can't call a carrier and go, hey, I'm taking this to appraisal, or send in a letter, I'm taking this to appraisal. You're not privy to the contract or the carrier. So just keep in mind when you're talking to these adjusters, hey, we're taking this to appraisal. Hey, the property owner may be interested in taking this appraisal if they disagree with your opinion, would be a better way to say yeah. it. You and refer the property to owner it. typically has to send in an email or that request to invoke the appraisal process. Technically, the contractor might even be construed as... Yeah. Violating UPPA or well, or like it, he's not or a party to the he's not a party right. to the dispute, so he can't demand so, appraisal. So you, ed- you have to almost say yes. So you have to educate your property owner on the appraisal process. Um, by the way, if you guys are in SBGU, we have a video, a whole course in there about the appraisal process. We're yeah. actually we're actually shooting some more with Steve here today because it's a, it is a finicky process. There's you know you get the 15 days to choose the appraiser appraiser or the appraiser for each side, then you got 15 or 30 days spent on the state to choose the umpire. And the contractor and the property should really know these times because the other ones that are going on the offense it ain't the carriers can be sitting and monitoring those days because the carriers will sit on it forever yep i've been on those on it. okay the umpire selection we'll get around to when we get around it it's not a priority to them the key to winning those appraisals is taking the offense knowing those dates punching the time clock because when they miss the date and there's no umpire selection and any the property owner takes that to, to for the uh, to file the motion for example for the selection of the umpire yep yep I think the judge sees that that the proprietor is taking the onus in the offense and that's why those that's why those umpires get selected off the uh, it's important that you document every single thing that you do and
1: that's it's called um, perfecting a file that's what the attorney's calling so you want to document every single thing that you do throughout the process you want to document the date time who you spoke with and the outcome of that almost, particular you conversation you almost
0: just need an attorney the on communication. Staff as a contractor
1: yeah okay. well <laughs> at least document things so very thoroughly you know who you spoke to the date the time did what was guys, the outcome hey, did
0: any of these guys know they you need an engineering degree and a ter- yeah, uh, attorney degree and a pa license just to put on a roof as a contractor i mean right? all right crazy Guys, what's some questions? Appraisal's complicated, it's finicky. I mean, I'm sure you guys got questions. I see a lot of questions on, the pages on appraisal.
3: On appraisals? Um, well, I had a good one. That somebody was wondering, would you recommend creating a role in the company for a person that would be responsible to going to adjust your meetings? Would this help scale your company?
0: Uh, that's a good question, because a lot of guys are green. Uh, we. There's a lot of sales guys out there, sales women and men and sales associates that probably should focus on selling. This goes back to project management versus sales associates. Great at selling. They're probably not the left brain, analytical, psychological person you want meeting that adjuster that's been in the industry for 30 years that's gonna eat them for eat them for breakfast up there on the roof, quite frankly. So sometimes if you have a bunch of green guys on your team, like when you're when you're staffing up quickly after a storm, it is helpful to have one or two guys, maybe three, that are more experienced to go on all those insurance adjustments because you get better at having that right documentation, having those conversations and that psychology with all the different carriers and their little nuances. Each one has their own nuances on a roof. Sometimes it's better to have one or two people. I agree. And you can, your buy ratio would go up and then your sales associates who are greener or maybe don't have those quite those capabilities. They can focus on what they're doing best: knocking doors, signing deals, knocking doors, signing deals. Absolutely, they can pay for themselves very quickly. What I would recommend that you do is, I would recommend that if you can
1: find one, someone who used to be a claims adjuster, like, like me, Steve, like me, someone who used to be a claims adjuster who has a heart to see the consumer get a fair shake. If you can find someone like that, that would be a perfect person to uh, fill that role in your company
0: was said, that leads into like sales processing, like back in the day, we used to have all of our sales guys, we, we taught them everything, how to do estimates, how to do everything, you know, how to, and we found a lot of them aren't that good at writing estimates. We'd have different communications and different uh, requests going to different carriers from each sales guy. So there, just like that questionnaire, we developed that position called a sales processor, Yeah. who's one person in the office, only one or two, sending out all the estimates, supplement requests, you have a consistent company message, You have more consistent profit margins and you don't have a bunch of guys that really don't know how to communicate to carriers. And this is before they had all the UPPA laws. Now they got all these UPPA laws and stuff. So you gotta be careful what you say over the phone. And so that, you know, sometimes it's good to have one person in your office just doing all your estimates and supplements or one or two people. Or some of these guys use an outside company. Outsource. Um, Mm -hmm. Outsourcing. There's there's a time to outsource. You know, me, I, I believe you should master it inside first and then outsource when you need to, but a lot of guys are outsourcing before they've even mastered it themselves. Sure. I think that's a huge mistake, personally. Well, if they're smaller, they probably can't afford, so. But they should. But you should know your profit margins. Oh. If you're gonna be in this industry, you better you know, know how the fact that it works, well, you should understand as the owner, at least the owner or senior managers, you should know the supplementing process to a T, personally, I believe, before you outsource. You outsource when you're busy, but if you don't understand your own profit margins in this industry and you're just outsourcing it completely because you don't understand, you can get a lot of you can get a lot of hurt pain for that too. And you better know your margins. And you better know the difference between a markup and a margin. If you don't know the difference between a markup and a margin, you better learn quickly. Um, I think margins should be at hundred percent. Yeah. Well. <laughs> if I spent hundred dollars labor material, I should get I, I think it's two hundred. Why not? Being
1: the being the replace- All the
0: pain these guys we go you know the we used the, to go through the, with the warranties, you gotta live with that customer five, ten years, lawsuits, litigation employee, you know all that stuff. Vinyl siding, window replacement. Those Man. are That's hundred percent. It's hundred percent.
3: Okay, is the appraisal process limited to the value of the already agreed upon line items, or can appraisal expand the scope?
0: Appraisal can expand the scope and the price. You are not. You are not. Uh, now, sort of some carriers argue that, but my experience, this is what's cool about appraisal is whatever that appraiser and umpire agree is the award. That's the award. You don't even have to use Xactimate appraisal. Xactimate goes out the door. By no means. You could use 10 and 15 overhead profit. Maybe that window's 3,000 instead of 800 in Xactimate. Whatever it is, appraisal, you know, that's where you really wanna have your sub-bids and really get all that other stuff in line for the appraisal process and not go off Xactimate because you can override Xactimate appraisal. Check this out, guys. Let's say that you go to your
1: CPA and you ask them, what is our general overhead on a percentage basis? And they let's say that they say that it's 26.3%. So then when you write up your estimates, then your your overhead and profit, the overhead part should be 26.3 because that's what your actual general overhead is on a percentage basis. And you have a certified copy from your CPA with their license number on it from your state showing that this is accurate and they're putting their license on the line saying that this is accurate and true. And if that's your actual general overhead, then that's what you should be billing, 26.3 and 10. Not ten to ten. If if an umpire, if an umpire and appraisal signs off on it, it's done. What done deal? What company has exactly ten percent general overhead? None. So why are we using these numbers? They're just somebody
0: arbitrarily created these numbers. Why are you using well, 10 and 10? Most guys are just trying to get the 10 and 10. Yeah, well the, the well first then problem, ask for 23 and the first, t- the first problem is getting the 10 and 10. Then ask for the 26 and, and the 10. And then the second problem is how do we turn that into, yeah. well, I'll ask tell for you the what, 26, 26 east, and 10. I had an office in Chantilly, Virginia. least we're getting 10 and 15. Yeah. So you get hired because they have a higher cost of living out there. So. There you go. I mean, he, yeah. there, there's upward movement, but the problem is half these guys aren't even honoring the basic 10 and 10. That would be the first yeah. hurdle. And then, yeah. So if you
1: ask for 26 and 10 and get 10 and 10,
0: uh, will that work? Sometimes. You ask for 10, they say 5, you agree on 7. Yeah. yeah. That's the process.
3: Okay, so what do you do when an appraiser is acting and thinking like an adjuster?
1: You tell them to Inspire switch
3: hats. Them.
1: You tell them to switch hats. So Don't you, use that appraiser. Yeah, yeah. So he <laughs> so needs to take off his adjuster hat and put on his appraiser hat because it's too That away. Totally prop, that property has to be very, puts.
0: very, very uh, cognizant of the appraiser that they're hiring for themselves. You know, I see these names getting thrown out there. And I know you guys do a little appraisals, but you can't just hire some appraiser because I've done appraiser work. You better make sure that he's someone who's has a history of being on the yeah. property or side, not just some standard independent appraiser. It
1: sounds like the person asking this question is an appraiser. And so what this is the way I word it. What you don't do is you don't point fingers and say, hey, you're acting as an adjuster. You don't do that because then the guy gets defensive. What you do is is you say that we as a panel have to be careful that we've switched our hat from our adjuster hat to our appraiser hat because it's a totally different role for appraisers than adjusters. And see by by putting it that way, you're not accusing him of something. We as a panel have to be careful, yada, yada, yada.
3: All right. So Brandy commented, I'm a PA. At what point should I advise the homeowners to invoke appraisal?
1: Oh, the same thing I said a minute ago is you go up the ladder of authority and you try to find someone in the claims department that can be reasoned with. If no one can be reasoned with, then you're left with take it on the chin, litigate or go to appraisal. And out of those three, obviously the first one is unacceptable. And most consumers are afraid to litigate against their insurance company, which leaves appraisal. You so know, I've had, you I've had s- I've had a lot of situations
0: where uh, the act of the property owner sending in an appraisal request, or let's say I, we did appraisal, we had a half-million you know, dollar claim once, there was $100,000 of, of a 10 and 10. And we, we thought it was worth going... Going to appraisal to get, you know, we were three quarters done with the job. They weren't mm-hmm. budge on it. They didn't budge on the beginning. We proceeded with work. We had the commercial property owner send in a, a letter, a request to begin the appraisal process just for the ten and ten. And within two weeks, we got a response back that they're going to pay it. So sometimes, when you show intent to going down the offense, mm-hmm. you know, this is through the the property owner, mind you. In sending in a request for appraisal, if it's something as finicky as just a price issue and not a scope in a situation, sometimes they cave in because they realize that they're now going to have to hire an independent appraiser. We see it all the They're going to have lost brand equity with their customer and they're going to lose. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's just a, if it's a legitimate 10 10 issue on a, on a multiple three trades, and they they're going to lose an appraisal. And they know it. And once that desk or that claims manager sees that, hey, this property owner is committed to this process and it's just a price issue, sometimes they will resolve the issue before it actually goes to appraisal. That's, it's psychology 101. You know? In fact, we see it quite often is, is they'll demand appraisal and then the adjuster will come
1: in and say, okay, we'll pay for this, this, and this, and then fine, boom, soft. Just a threat of appraisal
0: causes them to uh, to change their tune. So it works. Man, we've been talking for, how long, how long have we been out here? Uh,
3: about T- almost an hour. Wow. 50, 50
0: minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We start charging an hour, too. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so, we didn't or- use
0: our time clock, guys. Usually we use this. This is one hour. So we just got heated here talking.
3: So, Mark asked, what do you see as the next biggest roadblock in the future for contractors who are assisting homeowners with storm-related damage?
1: Drones. They're gonna, they're gonna, boy, this is not a good time to be an independent adjuster. I used to be a claims adjuster, I used to do independent adjusting. These guys aren't making near as much money as they used to, and, uh, and it's a dying industry, just like home phones is a dying industry and drones are going
0: to take over and um but drones can't do it but drones can't do a wind lift test they most certainly cannot they can't lift a shingle but they can't lift the tile and i assure you that they're going to be sending out guys with drones to inspect eventually they'll work. be able to yeah they, and can't, so, they can't feel the back of the matting yet yeah so yeah. sometimes you. I, I think a lot of i've seen uh, all states start that drone program and a lot of customers start complaining is if they request a human Yeah. They're going to still get a human right now, not a drone. But I yeah. think it's still early. But that is the the biggest thing that I see coming in the future. That's going to be an issue. That and, and you better you better have an answer to these problems. Because if you don't, um, I think it's just providing because this industry is so changing all the time from from the all the different carrier standpoints and tactics in each state. Staying on staying abreast of the situation of all the yeah. different tactics, the different statutes in your states, and arming your people with data in real time. The, that's that's a both a that's both a positive and a negative for some guys. Some Education. guys aren't arming your guys any data; they're just winging it, and sending out. You know, this industry's funny because you can go out with a, with an eyeball that goes like this, missing teeth and a drooling problem, throw a couple guys out delivering Domino's pizza last week, and you can knock out one to three million in sales. Let's be honest; that's truth. It happens every day. Or you can arm your people with training, knowledge, Education. and data. I'm not going to push my virtual training, but you know, with documents, supporting docs on the file, but with training, with how to talk to these carriers, with all the different information and statutes, in that same team, you can elevate to three, five, seven, 10, 15 million by knowing what the hell you're talking about. The problem in our industry at a stumbling block is too many guys can wing it and still do okay, mm-hmm. right? Now, that's getting harder. It used to be even easier. It was '99, <laughs> But it's getting harder, and so now you have to, literally, you have to train your people, man. And you have to provide them with real-time supporting documentation, training. You have to know how to train them. And if you're too lazy to train them, let us train them inside SVGD. The
1: thing about training, in fact, I posted a, a quote by um, by Benjamin Franklin, and it's on the internet, so it must be true. He said that um, education pays the best dividends, and um, I believe that that's true. You're either going to pay for your education up front, or you're going to pay for it in the back, in the back end. It's a knowledge so, Yeah, it's a knowledge game. You can pay for it up front by having your guys very well trained, or you can pay for it in a lack of sales by not having them well-trained. You're going to pay for it one way or the other. So my recommendation is you pay for training up front so that they're well-trained instead of paying for it in the back end because they're poorly trained and you don't make make near as many sales
0: as you should be. Steve, imagine how many deals some guys, a lot of guys are spending a lot of money on trucks, billboards, they buy lead packages, and then they'll hire warm bodies. I used to do it too, I know. (coughs) When you're in a rush to hire salespeople, that guy comes in, speaks English, walks good, looks good. Hey man, here's a day of training. Let's get you out, start signing some deals. You just just start shoving on the field because there's that much demand, yeah. And you got to get warm bodies out there. So I get it. <coughs> Colorado's going through that right now, but uh, you know, wh- you know how many deals are lost, how many leads are lost because someone didn't train that guy how to set the kitchen table and walk that property or through the full education process. Somebody brought up something really. Well, how, what about the customer asking for three estimates? That's why we created the virtual sales pitch inside SVGU to walk that customer through every step of the way. Sure. So you can educate that property in real time because the better you can educate that property at the kitchen table, the less likely they're gonna ask for three estimates, the more likely they're gonna sign your deal. And if you can not educate that sales guy or whoever sits at that table to have that conversation, either the next guy's gonna win the deal or you're not gonna get the deal, you know? Like, and, and, and the same thing when you meet an adjuster. Now you gotta educate, unfortunately in our business, now you gotta educate these guys on how to meet. One minute they're knocking doors, they're talking, smiling, signing deals. The next minute they're meeting some angry cranky adjuster on a roof and you're talking about a. $100,000 claim and RCB and depreciation, all these things, it's two different worlds. And it's hard to train a guy, because you're talking about left and right side, you know, right side sales, left side's more analytical. Now you're training a guy to be more, both a left and right brain activity. One minute he's a blue collar project manager, you know, he's blue collar, on on taking pictures of the roof. Next minute he's white collar, he's crunching through uh, uh, insurance paperwork, sure. educated property on what's RCB depreciation mm-hmm. All that stuff takes time to train people and the better they're trained, obviously the more they're gonna sell, the more money they're gonna make. So, take advantage of, I mean, I spent a couple thousand hours creating um,
1: training information that you could train you and your guys, uh, Anthony spent more time than that in, with SVG University, and so, you know, avail yourself of the opportunity for your guys to be well trained. I mean, it, it pays the best
0: dividend. so. So, guys, an hour. we're kind of, we're going on, we could go on and on about this stuff. We're actually shooting courses with Steve today, so for, some of you guys using the SVG virtual, Steve and I are going to shoot some expansive courses today on winning adjustments, um, downloadable documents for the appraisal process, understanding the timelines, all, all kinds of other goodies. We're going to try to get some of that gray matter out of Steve's head, put it in some digestible courses. <laughs> See, that's what I do now. I've exhausted what I can put in. I bring guys like you in and I, yeah, I can get some of your information. That's awesome. In <laughs> Got to get more gray matter in there. But let's give out some tickets, guys. A couple new things we're doing at Wind Storm this year. But Who had the best question, by the way? I don't even know.
1: Did anybody ask questions on my site? Yeah, my, yeah. we had a lot of questions on okay. your site. But are there any questions that we haven't answered that are really We can always answer them.
0: We we'll answer them in, in real time in the comments. We can go back to our own pages and answer them mm-hmm. later. Um, let's, give a, let's give a ticket away to level the playing field and one to SVG. Who had the first question? All right, David Summerly. Which, which one was he on? He was on your,
3: your page. page.
0: Oh, the podcast is helpful. Awesome. David's already got enough tickets. <laughs> <laughs> David, he does. David, you got enough tickets. I'll tell you what. Me and Steve will go back to our individual pages and we'll look at the questions. Yeah, absolutely. And then we'll announce a free ticket on each of the pages because well, we get to scroll through them and be fair. I don't want to just grab somebody at random right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, guys, just a couple of things. We got some really exciting announcements for uh, Wind and Storm Conference in Vegas, February 21 to 22, 23. Uh, we got That's some mistakes
1: my birthday's February twenty second.
0: Oh, you're still coming? Oh, of course. Oh, okay. We got hey. some. We got some. Uh, we got some new speakers coming in from the outside. I can't wait to announce. Them. I'm not going to announce them now because we got to sign some contracts. We got some uh, Steve Badger types coming in to really get a flavor on the other side. That's good. We got some great annou- Great announcements. We're also doing a. Uh, this is new. Uh, we're doing a female, female CEO panel on Saturday. A female CEO panel on Saturday. So we get the females of the industry. Autumn Wusk is heading that up. She's already got a. Uh, she got some big names that are going on that. Some surprises as well. And they're, awesome. doing, they're doing a female brunch. So, anybody that buys uh, three tickets this next month, three winter Storm tickets, we're doing one complimentary ticket for the female in her office because we want to get more. We want to get more females. Buy involved. three, get one free. Look, when I was when I was running uh, between uh, 18 states, it was it was the females running the back end of my office. That's you guys like, running the field. My CFO, my production yeah. manager, my sales processor. The females were the backbone of my of the success of my business. They Good. still are today. If you look at SVG, we still got Deborah's is the glue that holds my company together. So we want to get a lot more female involvement. If you know if you know a female uh, manager out there, a CEO, or someone that's really shaking and moving in the industry, get her on our CEO panel. And, uh, of course, go to Autumn She's putting all that together the brunch. Anybody buys three tickets this next month? Uh, we're giving one, one away to the female or your company that's helping are you you doing a thing, if you
1: buy two today, you get one free?
0: Today we got a special. You get two tickets, win a storm, we get one free. You were saying that earlier. Um, we're kind of extending a la- uh, Friday's last deal. Today. Yeah, today only. For all the listeners on here, uh, buy two, get one free. Uh, you guys can hit up the SVG office for that. Steve and I are going to head in and now we got to shoot some courses, but this is, this is a lot of good, this is a way to get started, shoot that's some lunch. courses on appraisals, adjustments, supplements we got all kinds of new supporting documentation to help these guys out in the future see you guys soon awesome man thanks for uh for um what's the word tuning in tuning in <laughs>